Reflections with Marilyn Baker. Brought to you by Torch Trust, the Christian organization with a vision for people with sight loss. Hello, and welcome to the February 2017 edition of the Reflections Monthly Podcast. I'm Grace Davis, and I'm the producer of Reflections Radio with Marilyn Baker. All of the following programmes were originally broadcast on national radio in February 2017. On this edition, we feature a follow-up chat with Bill Skipworth, who you may remember appeared on our show last year. Well, he has plenty more to tell us. We also talked to Val Muir, who at the age of 72 decided to travel halfway across the world to help those in need. We sit down with Lynn McCann, who tells us all about her blog Included by Grace, which focuses on supporting people with autism to be truly included in church and community. And we have a Lent special, focusing on this time of reflection and preparation before Easter. Due to copyright issues, we have removed all music tracks other than Marilyn's own. So now, sit back, relax, and we hope you enjoy our show. Reflections with Marilyn Baker Brought to you by Torch Trust, the Christian organisation with a vision for people with sight loss. Hello and a warm welcome to Reflections, the show from Torch Trust that focuses on faith and disability in today's world. I'm your host, Marilyn Baker, and I'll be with you for the next 15 minutes. On today's show, we're going to be speaking to Lynn McCann, author of the popular blog Included by Grace. The blog deals with Lynn's life and work supporting people with autism and helping churches to be more inclusive of people with different needs. Lynn is an incredibly busy person and her blog and work both come out of a wealth of experience gained by Lynn in various roles. She chatted with our producer, Grace Davis, over Skype recently, sharing about how she does it all. Lynn, it sounds like you're an incredibly busy person. I've been reading your blog and the amount of things you do is incredible, really. And it just made me wonder, how did you get inspired to start writing this blog? Um, I've been a teacher for many, many years, but I, I did spend um, about 10 years working in a specialist store for children with autism. Um, I, I've always prayed for the children that I've worked with. And as I was doing so, I was asking God um, how they could understand the gospel because of their communication difficulties and, um, and things like that. So God's answer was to send us to a church where they had a group for adults with learning disabilities. And I got involved in that. And from that, I learned so much about finding different ways of communicating and presenting the Bible. Um, and after a good few years, I decided that I'd like to share what we'd learned and started my blog. So you've mentioned your work as a teacher, and um, I saw on your website as well, you work as a consultant to churches and schools and organisations. Can you tell me a bit more about how that works? How, how would a, a church sort of get in touch with you to, to get you to do that with them? One of the things that when I first started asking God this question and, and learning myself is that I went on the internet and did a really good search of all the organisations that were out there that were either providing resources or um, you know, doing this kind of work. And I, first of all, we, we were a member of 
Prospects, which is an organiser, a charity for adults with learning disabilities, and they'd provided some really good stuff. So I started building a relationship with them. But I also found Urban Saints and Through the Roof in particular, who were doing this kind of work. And so I connected with each of them. And because each of them have got a different um, avenue, I kind of signed up to help them. So for Urban Saints, um, they have a thing called All All Inclusive and Mark Arnold, who works for Urban Saints, um, does these fantastic All Inclusive courses in churches. But then also he's put a team of people together called All Inclusive to You. And then from that, churches can invite one of us in if we're in the area to go and do a bit of an audit and a bit of training with them. Um, And that's really good. And through through the roof, they have a scheme called Roof Breakers, and that's kind of identifying somebody in a church that can um, be a sort of a beacon for disability awareness and support. And they're also encouraging people to put together regional networks so that churches can come together and support one another. So I set up a Roof Breaker group in our county of Lancashire as well. Right. Wow. So I guess it's kind of it's different on an individual basis, I expect, like different churches will have different things that they need to do or change. Um, But is there any advice that you could give to anyone listening for sort of just basic first steps? How could you be more inclusive? I think the first thing is to ask that question. And it's amazing how when you have conversations with people, they say, oh, we've never thought about it. So I think really first think about it and look at your um, setting, your your congregation and just ask that question, how can we be more inclusive? Now, let's go back to Grace and Lynn. Now, one one of the posts that I read on your blog that really stood out to me was the one where someone made the comment to you about why bother teaching the Bible to someone with the mind of a three-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that just seemed shocking to me. Is, is this an attitude you kind of come across often? Um, I, I think, and, and I won't generalise at all, but um, that was a, a sort of an elderly person. And I think, um, you know, in their day and age, that most people with, with additional needs and, and especially learning difficulties were kind of housed in institutions. And so they haven't really had that sort of awareness and, and being brought up with people, whereas now our schools are a lot more inclusive and um you know, there's still a long way to go, but we have come a long way as well. So mm. sometimes those attitudes are old fashioned um, and because people haven't been aware or given any awareness. So, yeah, it's, it's, it, it does bug me, though. <laughs> Every week I worship with adults with learning disabilities who have all kinds of conditions from Down syndrome to autism to physical disabilities and, and um, sight loss and things like that. And just the wonder of opening up the Bible with them is just fantastic. And we don't, because they're adults as well, we don't water down the Bible. So we look at, like, you know, all the sort of, um, things in Judges. I remember we did Judges and it was just really quite challenging looking at how God and people dealt with each other and, and actually learning about that together. So yeah, open up the Bible. It's wonderful. So is this something that you've sort of always always felt called to personally by God? Yeah, I have a big testimony, but basically um, I didn't grow up in a Christian family, but when I was 14, I was very quiet and shy in school, believe it or not. And um, our teachers asked if we wanted to go and help out at um, a local special school to play with the kids at lunchtime. And because I was sort of not doing much else, I went along and it was like this 
I suppose I can only describe it like a light from heaven <laughs> coming into my head. But this is this is wonderful. These kids are amazing, and this is what I should be doing with my life. And from being the age of fourteen, I then sort of pursued a career into teaching, um, specifically to work with special needs children. So it, I, I wasn't a Christian at that point, but I did feel cold, which was interesting. <laughs> mm, oh wow, that's amazing to know from that young age that that's what you want to do. That's what you have to do in a way. Yeah, kind of. Then I can blame God. And <laughs> <laughs> So do you mind sharing how you became a Christian? Um, I don't at all. Um, it, when I was um, a teenager, I went through some years of really tough times and um, made lots of bad decisions about relationships and boyfriends. My own family was um, also breaking up. My parents divorced when I was 19. So a really tricky time for me. And um, But because of my interest in, in special needs, I went on a holiday with Mencap and we went to North Wales to a... Um, an activity centre, like an adventure centre. And while I was there, the, the, the staff weren't preaching at us, but I just saw in some, in them something that I needed in my life. They were like shining, these people walking around just shining Jesus out of them. And so I just sort of went away to a little quiet area and just told my life story to God. So when I sat there on that sort of little shelf and gave my life story to God, he answered in a really mighty way. I had this feeling of being washed through and it was just wonderful. But he also said to me at that time in a really clear voice, uh, when you go home, you've got to finish that relationship. I was living with somebody who I was engaged to and I knew it was, wasn't a good relationship. So I did go home and I did finish with that person and uh, ended up homeless for three weeks because of it. But then I found a new place to live and a new life, completely new life. And it was wonderful. So, yeah, that, I, I never forget my testimony because it was very special to me. Yeah. Wow. That's quite dramatic, isn't it? A dramatic change. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Now do you feel like you're where you're supposed to be? I think with everybody, life is a journey, isn't it? It really is. You talk, you take one step at a time forward with God. And if you listen to him and just take the steps that he leads you on. So I've not gone on a very straight journey. It's been up and down and around and about and in all different directions. But it's always been walking with God. So, you know, sometimes like I've lost my job or, um, you know, we've had difficulties um, in life generally, but always God seems to move me on to the next things. And the idea of supporting people with disabilities has never left in whatever situation I've been in. Um, it's always been there. So I have a lot of passion for that. So for anyone who's sort of had their interest sparked by this, what's the best way for them to kind of follow what you're doing to keep up with you? Um, I would say get out there and meet people who have different disabilities and make friends because it's about people this isn't it God's kingdom's about people and one of the best um, things that that fuels what I write about is because I, I have friendships with people who have um, learning difficulties with Down syndrome with all sorts of different needs and they are wonderful people and knowing that God loves them and that they have faith is what drives me to say come on churches let's let's get these people in in our congregations let's see what they have to offer and let's give them um you know the place in the body of Christ that they need to have really okay brilliant thank you very much thank you both and don't forget you can visit Lynn's blog at includedbygrace.wordpress.com and you can follow her on twitter at includedbygrace 
Well, we're just about out of time for today. If you'd like to find out more about anything you've heard on the show, or if you have a story of your own to share with us, then please do get in touch. We love to hear from you. You can call us on 0333 123 1255 or email info at torchtrust.org. You can also visit our website, torchtrust.org. And if you'd like to keep up with the work that Torch is doing, then why not sign up to receive our quarterly newsletter, Torch News. It has all the info you need about Torch Matters. You can also get hold of our new brochure for an overview of our services. Both are available in a variety of formats. So I'll tell you the number again. It's 0333 123 1255 or email info at torchtrust.org. So until next time, from me, Marilyn and everyone on the Reflections team, goodbye and God bless. Reflections from Torch Trust. Reflections with Marilyn Baker. Brought to you by Torch Trust, the Christian organization with a vision for people with sight loss. Hello and welcome to Reflections, the show from Torch Trust that focuses on faith and disability in today's world. I'm your host, Marilyn Baker, and we've got a very interesting show lined up for you today. If you're a regular listener, you may remember our show last year featuring Bill Skipworth. He shared his personal story of faith and sight loss, as well as his amazing talent for playing the piano, which he feels was a gift from God after the loss of his sight. Well, we'd like to welcome Bill back to the show today to share a very interesting and unusual update in his story. Let's go straight to Bill now, who talked to our producer, Grace Davis, in Sheffield. So, Bill, a lot has changed since you last appeared on our programme. Back then, obviously, you'd you'd had sight loss for quite a long time, but in between, you'd gone completely blind, hadn't you? And, And can you tell me a bit about what that was like? Yeah, my history is that I uh, um, started to lose my sight when I was 36 due to glaucoma. And uh, when I was 50, my right eye went completely blind due to glaucoma. But um, when I was working, I was driving when I only had uh, one eye working. And I now realise that my sight loss really wasn't that bad at this point. But anyway, I went for a routine uh, checkup early last year. And uh, the operation that I'd had in my sighted eye that had been successful for nearly 20 years was in effect catastrophically failing because the pressure in your eye should be about 10 to 15 and the pressure had gone to 49. Ooh, yeah, yeah, and uh, it was really urgent because mm. if it hadn't uh, stopped the pressure uh, you know, within weeks, then the left eye would have gone completely blind as my right eye did you know, many years ago. Um, so, well, to say I was in a panic mode, to put it mildly, you know, mm. but uh, the doctor... Honestly and truly, he was so dynamic. You know how some people come across as very dynamic and can-do sort of people? And he just took one look at me and he said, right, we need to sort this out. Uh, I'm going to book you in as like an emergency, you know, in a few days' time. And uh, unlike uh, what had happened before, 
because the treatment for glaucoma surgically is what's called a trabeculectomy, which is make a little surgical hole. But what happens is that that operation always fails after a few years, usually 10 to 15 years. In my case, it had failed after 20 years, and um, the, the techniques had changed. And the cure to this glaucoma now was what you call, a, well, I call it a silicone implant. And, and the pressure dropped um, from 49 to one <laughs> instantly, <Wow>. yeah. And, <laughs> wow. uh, and then when it settled down, um, again, this is quite funny from this dynamic doctor mm. point of view, because the, the pressure should be between 10 and 15. And when he tested the pressure a couple of weeks afterwards, it was 13. So it's a bit like it reminded me of, of target practice, you know. On a, you know, it really was spot on with his mm. surgery that he did. Wow. Uh, but yeah, that was the first stage. I mm. mean, do you want to hear about the second stage? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the yeah. second stage, um, I noticed that my size, you know, wasn't really very good immediately. Mm. Actually, after it had been done, and it turns out that because the pressure, unbeknown to me, had been high for a long time, the the little lens in the eye was sort of resistant to it. Mm. Well, when it suddenly went normal, the whole um, lens went opaque, literally within days, mm. because it was in shock, I suppose. I mean, it was just the way the body is, and uh, in this particular instance. And over the next few weeks, it went completely, uh, what you call, dense. Mm. And I couldn't see my face in the mirror, I couldn't see my hands in front of my face. Mm. I went completely blind, uh, mm. which was a whole different, um, well, I could write a book about it, but so many things I couldn't do anymore. And, and the big thing was not being able to use a knife and fork. The first time I, I came out of the hospital, my wife put some food in front of me, and within 20 minutes, it was all down my front, all on my trousers, and somehow, I don't know how I did it, but somehow the food got on the settee, and I sat on it. Oh, so, dear. of course, very quickly, uh, we had the system of my wife would cut my food up, put it in a bowl, give me a spoon, sit me, you know, with bibs everywhere, and, uh, and that was the only way I could, I could eat, you yeah. know. It was, but I could talk about this for a long time. Yeah, but, well, it must uh, have been hard finding ways to cope with it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that... Uh, with a shock was of course when you open a door you put your hand on the handle mm. but of course I had no sides so I had to do this pat 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 you know and mm. uh, till I found where the, the door handle was then I could open it but then when you're on the other side of the door the handle is not on the left hand side uh, it's on the right hand side so mm. I never really did get the hang of which door which handle was on the you know and mm. my wife would get fed up and she'd say for goodness sake will you stop patting and I would get lost, and I, again, it's hard to believe, but in my own living room that I'd lived in for nearly 15 years, I, I got lost. I, I, couldn't, I wouldn't know where I am. Yeah. So I would crawl on my hands and knees to touch a furry rug, which was in front of the um, hearth, which was made of stone, because, of course, your hands become very important to feel. Mm. Uh, and then I would uh, turn round, and I knew... I was in front of the fireplace, therefore I knew that on the right-hand side was the settee and the television, And uh, but I'd have to regularly do that to mm. orientate where I was in yeah. space, which wow. is something I never appreciated before. Here and now
Nelson. Now let's go back to Grace and Bill to find out what happened next. So Bill, did you find that you struggled with your faith during this time? Did you feel it was tested? It was tested incredibly because I looked at all the stories in the Bible about people getting the sight back and what I realised, I mean there was one blind man who went up to the Lord and said, uh, if it's your will, uh, let me receive my sight, you see. And, and he said, I will, you know, receive your sight. Well, I'm afraid that if I'd have met Jesus when I was blind, I would have run up to him and, and I would have screamed at him, give me my sight back now. You know, uh, in actual fact, that was a very gracious thing to say to him, you see. It just showed his humility, you see, which I didn't have. Mm. And, and, uh, and then the other thing that gave me an insight was uh, there was one story where this blind man was touched uh, first and he said what do you see and he said I see uh, men as trees walking well what that shows is that he must have been sighted in the past because of course he'd seen mm. trees and he knew what trees were and, and I thought oh that's an interesting uh, insight but most of the time I thought to myself well what got to me was there's no way I could have said in my faith now if it's your will, let me receive my sight. My favourite attitude was, give me my sight back, you see. And uh, anyway, this brings me on to this very strange thing that happened to me. This is about when your sight started to come back. Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. I, the, I had a, the second procedure was that the dense cataract was removed. And uh, everybody told me, oh, when you get it, uh, your cataract done, it's instantly all your sight's back. Well, he did all this work. And I was exactly the same. I was still blind, you see. And but weirdly, um, I just accepted it. It was strange. I didn't feel angry about it. And, uh, and and then on the Saturday, I woke up and I was completely blind still. And uh, and again, strangely, I I sort of accepted it and thought, well, that's the way life's going to be now. That you know, I'm I'm going to just accept it. But then this is a weird bit now. Again, some listeners will think this is really weird, but it's, it's absolutely true. On the Saturday afternoon, the thought came into my head because I knew three g- girls who were totally blind. For the sake of the story, they were called Jill and Carol and, and Catherine. And, 
and I'd been sort of seeing them a bit, you know, well, not really seeing them, but I'm aware of them, talking to them. And, uh, and the thought came into my head, and I'm sure it was from God, uh, and the thought was, right, you're going to get some of your sight back, but this sight you're going to get back, I want you to give it to uh, Carol and Louise and Catherine, you see. And my first reaction was, no way, you know, it's my sight, I want it back, I'm not giving it to them, you know, even if it was possible, I'm not, I'm not doing it, you see. And again, anyone out there that's had this sort of experience, it just kept repeating all day on the Saturday, you know, we'd prepare to give this sight to them, you see, and I just kept saying no. I went to bed that night, I was tossing and turning, I was getting hot, and but you know when you're really worried about something? And, and anyway, it got to about half past 11, and then I said, okay, if it's possible, the sight I'm going to get back, all right, I'll, I'll give it to them. And, and honestly, and again, I can't really explain it, but I just broke up into little bits, you know, really emotional and really upset. But then it was like a burden had come off my back and I fell asleep and then I woke up the following morning and then I thought, oh, and I could see my hands for the first time and the first thing that I saw was my golden wedding ring, which you can see there, can't you? Mm. And, uh, and that was just unbelievable. It was just wow. like a dam breaking because yeah. I could see the blue sky, I could see the grass. Oh, it was, it was just been incredible. I mean, the experience of being able to see when you hadn't seen anything mm. for four months was just extraordinary and I'm still honestly I'm still absolutely full of it even now and it's now a few months away so my faith and but again what I'm battled with is that all these people that I know who are visually impaired why haven't they been healed and I'm thinking well why have I got it why am I being so sort of blessed and and all the other people aren't and again what really got to me was uh, Carol actually said to me she'd been born blind she'd never seen light and she genuinely came up to me. She said, Bill, I'm just so pleased that you've got your sight back. That's making me emotional, you know. But I thought, well, for her to say that, incredible, isn't it? So it really has been an amazing experience. And, yeah. and I still, it's a bit like the big question, why? I have no idea why I've been got my sight back, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's an amazing... Um, it is amazing, yeah. It is amazing. Yeah. And, uh, but again, it's, I think the skill of the surgeons, and, and the, I feel the whole thing was like a set-up job by all the staff. I mean, there must have been 20-odd people looking after me, and still are, and it was all like they were just sort of set up, like a chessboard, mm. to get my side back, you know, and yeah. it's just fantastic. That is wonderful. Yeah, it well, is we're, we're really happy to hear that, and I'm sure our listeners would be really happy oh, to hear yeah, that Oh, yeah, yeah. And thank you for talking to us today. Thank you. Well, I'm sorry to say, that's about all we have time for today. But remember... If you're dealing with sight loss, then you may be interested in some of Torch's many services, including specialist holidays, books, magazines and more in accessible formats, fellowship groups and journeying with our befriending service for those new to sight loss. If you'd like to find out more about any of these things or anything else that Torch does, then please do get in touch. You can call us on 0333 123 1255 or email info at torchtrust.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Torch Trust. This is also the contact info if you'd like to get in touch about reflections. We love to hear from our listeners. So once again, that's 0333 123 1255. Until next week, from me, Marilyn and everyone on the Reflections team, goodbye 
and God bless. Reflections from Torch Trust. Reflections with Marilyn Baker. Brought to you by Torch Trust, the Christian organization with a vision for people with sight loss. Hello and welcome to Reflections, the show from Torch Trust that focuses on faith and disability in today's world. I'm your host, Marilyn Baker. And we've got a very interesting show coming up for you today. My friend Val Muir recently returned from a trip to a country in Asia where she worked alongside other Christians helping to bring hope and comfort to people who had lost everything. It was a big thing for her to undertake and took her right out of her comfort zone. So I invited her into the studio to tell us more about it. Hi Val, it's really great to have you on our show. Now, um, you've been on a great adventure lately. You went to a poor country in Southeast Asia, didn't you? I did. You know, I think that's just an amazing thing for you to do. It sort of came out of the blue. Do you mind me asking, just at the beginning, how old you are? Because I think our (laughs) listeners would like to know that. I'm 72. Are you? Well, actually, I thought you were only 66, but anyway, that's marvellous. Yeah. So, I mean, what on earth gave you the idea to go abroad like that? Because you haven't been doing loads of travelling of late, have you? No. I picked up the OM, Operation Mobilisation, magazine, and it had a big article on this country in East Asia and showing the results of earthquakes And these people just looked so desperate. And the article mentioned the fact that they were getting to the point of needing counselling. And uh, so it was that that made me prick up my ears. Now, now was that the people who needed counselling or was it the people that were helping needing counselling? Because I suppose they were seeing a great deal of devastation, the people that were out there helping, weren't they? Both, actually, Marilyn, yeah. And uh, I did quite a bit of training the people that were caring out there to give them an idea, really, of listening. And uh, so... How to help the people that had lost everything. Yes. And all that. So that's really very interesting. Quite traumatic, really, for them. Very traumatic. So you helped them, as it were, to get close to those that were struggling, didn't you? Yes. Yes. I I mean, did you feel apprehensive about going? It was a very big step. I did, um, but I was quite certain that it was right to do it. I'd put out lots of feelers, and all the feelers had come back positive. So I felt it was right, but uh, my nerves really were on the culture and um, all the things you had to be careful with. Like food, for instance? And water, and water and keeping well. Is it yes. true to say you did keep well while you were there, really? I did. It was really hot when I first got there, much hotter than I expected. So I didn't eat as much. And um, so I just lived on these bananas and Sprite. Wow, that's amazing. Because it was safe. <laughs> yes, that's right. Safe, wasn't it? It was. I mean, going out to a country <laughs> like that, 
Did you have to support yourself financially? What did you do about finances? Operation Mobilisation usually asks you to get your church to sponsor you. And because I'd recently moved, um, I was in between churches. So I prayed and I just prayed that if I needed money, it would come in uh, without me having to ask. To ask people, you mean? You didn't want to ask anybody, really. Um, The only thing I asked them for was prayer. Yeah, you wanted people to pray for you. Yes, and they were just amazing, the people that prayed. And often, when they wrote to me, they included cheques. Now, that's quite staggering. For some of our listeners, the idea of just asking God for provision would be something new, but it's astounding. Did you actually get all the money you needed? I did, and... Every now and again, um, my funds would go down and I'd think, oh, hope I've got enough here. And then a cheque would arrive. It was just amazing. The Lord really provided. Yes, he certainly wanted you out there, didn't he? He did. Now, let's go back to Val, who has plenty more to tell. I mean, did you go to some interesting places while you were there? You saw the culture, obviously. I did. And one of the first things I was asked to do was to go on a retreat with a group of um, OM people are very good at going to remote areas. And they were going up the mountains. And some of these young people were there perhaps just two of them in a village and it would be two days journey to the next village so every year they have a retreat well they get some of them together you mean and they get them together and so we went up the mountain and they came down and we met them at a national park and it was brilliant and that was to encourage them in their faith was it it was and uh, there were two of us. One chap took discipling and I took counselling skills. Uh, and they were just over the moon about the it. The young people just loved it, did yes. they? These young people who were trying to cope up in the village um, had to share at the end of the retreat um, what had really spoken to them. And several of them spoke about the counselling and the listening skills. Did you have to work through a translator with the young people? Yes. And sometimes I'd forget. You sort of get carried away with what you're saying. And uh, and then she would nudge me and uh, I'd have to stop <laughs> to translate. Slow down a bit, Val. Slow down, Val. Yeah, yes, that's right. Did. What about travelling? I mean, the roads weren't very good. <laughs> How did you do the travelling? Well, they warned me, because of my age, that it would be a long journey in a, in our minibus. And they said, Val, um, it might take 12 hours. Uh, will you be OK? And I do travel. And so I said, no, I'll be fine. But in actual fact, it coincided with the equivalent of their bank holiday. So the roads were absolutely murder. And... In the end, it took us two days. Instead of 12 hours to get to some places, yes. 
I see. And, and what about sleeping? Were there any times when you had to sleep um, in <laughs> yes. unexpected locations? And yes. You didn't have um, the comfy on... mattresses? No, no. Because um, we were worried about the driver and felt that he needed rest. So we decided to pull over on the side of the road and we slept on the side of the road. And I actually slept for two hours. I was amazed. And when I woke up, I just thought, well, I've never done that before. What, just on a sort of rug on the side of the road? Yes. They had a ground sheet, so uh, we just slept on the ground sheet. Very simple lifestyle, really, wasn't it? Very. Did did they think, the people that you were with, that you were brave coming at your age, if you don't mind me saying? I mean, it was a really wonderful thing you did. It was the biggest witness. And the fact that I'd got grey hair um, made them sort of look. And then they'd whisper... And one of them would pluck up courage and ask how old I was. Oh, that's really special, actually. And so um, did you feel you actually managed to achieve what you went out to do? I think so, especially for those uh, people on the retreat. And they then asked me if I would take uh, the same sort of teaching sessions in the group where we were based uh, in the capital city. Right. So, so you did a lot, really. How I did. long were you there for? Three months. Three months. Mm. Yeah. Do you think it's changed you as a person? I think it's given me uh, confidence in what I'm doing as far as counselling goes. I'd had a bit of a rough time before I went, so um, I wasn't as strong as I usually am. But being out there and trusting and God answering the prayers um, and just going before me, which he promised he would, uh, was just amazing. Yes, that's really fantastic. So what about the future? I mean, would you ever consider going back? Um, I would consider it. I would consider it. And uh, knowing what's out there and what it's like and so on would be much easier for me to go. Well, we think you're very brave. Wonderful how you, as it were, learnt that process of trusting God even more, leaning on your Heavenly Father. So Uh, thanks for coming into the studio because it's been a great pleasure and we wish you all the best for future plans. Thank you very much, Marilyn. I feel very honoured to be invited. So thank you. Well, we're about out of time for this week. If you'd like to get in touch about anything you've heard on today's show, if you have a comment to make, a question to ask or a song request, then just give us a call on 0333 123 1255. The number is free to call. You can also email us on info at torchtrust.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Torch Trust or on Facebook only, Reflections from Torch Trust. So until next time, from me, Marilyn, and from everyone on the Reflections team, goodbye and God bless. Reflections from Torch Trust. Reflections with Marilyn Baker. Brought to you by Torch Trust the Christian organization with a vision for people with sight loss.
and welcome to Reflections, the show from Torch Trust that focuses on faith and disability in today's world. I'm Sheila Armstrong, and I'll be your host today, sitting in for Marilyn Baker, who will be back with you next week. Today we're thinking about Lent, which will begin on Wednesday the 1st of March. Are you planning to give up anything for Lent? I'm going to try to give up chocolate. Lent's a time of preparation and reflection, and I'd like to share something with you now that explores what that means. This prayer is read by Paul Rhodes, Torch's production assistant. This prayer is taken from the website faithandworship.com. Lord, 40 days alone, a wilderness of thoughts, tempting and inviting thoughts, which could so easily have distracted you from your task, your mission, your vision. Yet you emerged stronger and more attuned to all that had to be done, despite a time constraint that to our eyes would have seemed hopeless. We too live in stressful times. Demands are made of our time that leaves so little for the important things of life. We are easily distracted in the wilderness of our lives by every call to go this way or that, to turn stone to bread, leap from mountains and do all that would keep us from the truth. We listen to the voices of this world and ignore the one who endured all this and so much more and emerged triumphant, that we might not have to suffer so. Forgive us, Father, when we get distracted from our task. Forgive us those times when we try to be all things to all people and fail to be anything to anyone. Amen. Now you may be aware that Torch Trust puts books into accessible formats for people with sight loss. Grace Davis is in the studio with us today to tell us a bit more about this. So, Grace, tell us more. Okay, well, we, as you say, put books into accessible formats, and these formats include Braille, large print, and audio, which can be done in two types. One of those is USB memory stick, and another one is a DAISY audio CD, which is a bit like a normal CD, but takes a special player that gives you a lot more control over the CD that you're listening to. So we have a range of books in different genres. We've got biographies, fiction, devotionals, Bible study. These are all Christian books. And we have both a library and we have books to buy as well. So if you want to to have a book to keep for yourself, you can purchase that. And if you want to just borrow something and return it, we've got a wonderful library of over 3,000 books. Um, This is a free postal lending library, so people can sign up to the library And they can get sent their choice of books or they can just say what genres they like and we'll choose some books and just send them out to them. All of these books are for people with sight loss only. But if this sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can get in touch with us. You can call us on 0333 123 1255 and you can email us on info at torchtrust.org. Now today particularly, I'd just like to talk a little bit about the Lent books that we've done this year. We've got three Lent books. We have Receiving Christ in Five Ways, which is a York course. And we have At the Cross by Abby Guinness, which is a Lent study guide. And they're both available in Braille and large print. And then the third book we have is Dethroning Mammon by the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby. Uh, And that's available in Braille, large print and audio as well. All of the books in the library and to buy are not necessarily available in every single type. 
but we do have quite a, a variation of what's available. And I believe you've got an extract from one of these books for us now, Grace. Yes, we have. This is a great piece from Dethroning Mammon. One of the biggest gaps in the way that the wealth of our country is measured is that it ignores what is voluntary and unpaid. A bizarre illustration of the relationship between the way one looks at value and the impact of money is that if someone moves from a paid job to doing the same job on a voluntary basis, the measured economy shrinks, albeit to a very small extent. Let me give an example. When I was a parish priest, I was working in a parish that had some financial difficulties and relatively few churchgoers. In consequence, almost everything was done by volunteers. Someone came in to help with the administration in the parish office. Other volunteers ran our children and youth work. The music was also handled voluntarily. However, as the number of people coming to church grew and the church became more involved in the life of the community, the demands on the volunteers became excessive. In order to be able to focus more effectively on what we were trying to do as a church, we took on some paid staff. The first person to be taken on was a parish administrator. She had been helping us voluntarily insofar as she could, given that she needed to earn her own living, but she now became an employee. The fact that she had more time to work in the church was very useful and made a big difference. But the fact that she was employed did not change her capacity or her qualities. She was still the same welcoming, effective and efficient person she had been as a volunteer. Yet from the point of view of the gross domestic product of the United Kingdom, by taking her on as a paid employee, even at first for similar hours to those she had been doing voluntarily, we increased the national wealth. We had, in theory, created a job. Of course, in practice, we had not created any jobs at all. The same amount of time was being spent on the work as previously, except it was now being paid for. The same applied when, with other churches, we took on a youth worker to support the work we were doing with young people in the community. It was effective to do that, but it did not mean that we had suddenly caused something to happen that was not happening before. We were merely doing it more formally and more professionally. If you add up the monetary value of all the voluntary work done under their umbrella, churches and other faith groups in the United Kingdom are estimated to contribute over £3.3 billion to the economy every year. Other estimates suggest that the members of the Church of England alone give 22.3 million hours each month in voluntary service. This includes everything from helping out at local schools, to running food banks, to opening churches to be used as homeless shelters, and caring for the elderly. In the wider world, we see a similar situation in the work done by carers for members of their family. This work is not usually remunerated, but saves the national economy tens of billions of pounds every year. Yet it is not measured, and thus is often undervalued or ignored. 
the consequences of ignoring the voluntary or the non-remunerated are widespread and disastrous. It demeans those who act from love rather than out of hope for gain. The two are not, of course, contradictory. Plenty of people serve with love in areas for which they are paid well. The so-called caring professions are an obvious example. Good teachers love their pupils. Good surgeons exhibit a passionate care for patients. Even in very hard-driven areas, one comes across people whose desire to do things right and to value and respect colleagues speaks of a motivation including but going far beyond what they are paid. Soldiers follow leaders who care for them. Field Marshal Montgomery often used to stop at a pre-battle briefing and say to some hapless and doubtless petrified soldier, What is your most valuable possession? My rifle, sir. Nonsense, your life, and I aim to ensure you keep it. Yet the attention paid to what is measured, which in modern society often means what is measured numerically, can lead to a demeaning of people who do things without economic reward. Mammon brushes past them, spurning them as unimportant little people. What are the other measurables, apart from money, that control your life? Try to list them. In what way do they influence your habits and motivations? What can you not imagine life without? Make a list. How many of those things are measurable and how many are immeasurable? If you'd like to buy or borrow any books from Torch or just find out more about the service, then do get in touch. The number to call is 0333 123 1255 or you can email us info at torchtrust.org. That's also the contact information if you'd like to leave a comment about anything you've heard on today's show. So that's 0333 123 1255 and info at torchtrust.org. Well, we're just about out of time now, so until next week, from me, Sheila, and everyone on the Reflections team, goodbye and God bless. Reflections from Torch Trust.